Well, good morning, everybody. Oh, I love it when I get a response. It's so exciting. Welcome to those of you who are online this morning. There seems to be a lot more of you than normal. <laughs> All right, we're going to read um, from the book of Galatians, reading chapter 4, uh, verses 1 through to 7. And I'm reading from the NIV translation. Uh, chapter, uh, verse 1. What I am saying is that as long as an heir is underage, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent his spirit, sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. May the Lord richly bless you. Amen. Thanks so much, Mel. And thank you very much, Senior Pastor Daryl Evans. Um, this morning's Bible reading was supposed to be Galatians 4, 4 to 5, so all my notes have that in mind. And Pastor Daryl graciously said to Mel, please read this so we get the context. So if you hear me saying something about verse 4 and it seems like it's a little bit weird, uh, just... Um, Bear with me, okay, because as I say, I'm working from uh, verse 4 and 5 this morning. I don't know, we seem to be having troubles with our um, paid staff here as well. Um, one of them also lost Jesus recently. It's true. Fortunately, he found him face first, face down, in a puddle, in the car park. So he found Jesus again, but we won't mention who that was. Uh, so please pray for the leadership and uh, those paid staff members of our church. There's something going on and I don't quite understand it. Anyway, good morning and welcome to church. It's great to have you here. Merry Christmas. I cannot believe that this time next week, Christmas will be done and dusted, so to speak, and uh, we'll be moving towards the new year. And we have that crazy season where people make New Year's resolutions that they never keep. Uh, but I think one of the things about this time and season is that we should consider what Christ has done for us. And when we look to the birth of Jesus, that's exactly what I believe we should be doing. And so the passage that we had read out this morning was longer than I wanted, but the verses 4 and 5 are very concise. It gives this very concise account of what we as Christians celebrate at this time of year. And I'm not going to get into the debate whether Jesus was actually born on this day or not. As far as I'm concerned, it does not matter. I choose to celebrate Christ's birth on this day, and that's the only thing I choose to celebrate at Christmas time. And what we need to understand as we look at this passage in context, and obviously those verses that we heard read before are going to help with this, uh, is that Paul is writing to the Galatian church, and it's a group of churches in the Galatian region, the Galatia region, which we would now call Turkey. And Paul had been, going, had been to Galatia. He had preached the gospel message to them. They had received that message very enthusiastically and had given their lives to Jesus and were living for him. And a few years had passed. 
But the way they received that message at the time is quite incredible. They were so passionate about it. And in fact, in Galatians 4, 13 and 14, it tells us that Paul says, you received the message as if I was an angel or Christ himself speaking that message to you. So enthusiastic were they in receiving that. Several years have passed and these teachers have come in who've began to influence the Galatian church and they've told the Galatians that, yeah, well, what Paul said was right, but there's more. You need to add this to your faith so you can truly be a believer of Christ, so you can truly live the way that you should. And so these guys that had come in had proclaimed a false gospel. And some of the Galatian people were beginning to wonder whether they were correct and they were beginning to follow some of the stuff that was being taught, even though it added to the one true gospel. The true gospel proclaims that salvation is obtained by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Nothing more, nothing less. And so Paul is writing in order to draw them back to that one true gospel. He's calling them to remember, to return to what he once taught. And hopefully, that is what we all do, huh? We all reflect on what first called us to Christ, why we first made that commitment, his call upon our life, and what that remember, what that meant to us. We need to remember. We're obviously to remember the incredible gift of Jesus and God's great love which motivated him to send Jesus to save us. That's what Christmas for me is all about. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you we can gather here. I thank you for those online with us as well, Lord. Thank you that we're here to focus on you. And I just pray that will be our heart's desire this morning, just to focus on you, to hear from you, to engage with you, and to be drawn closer to you as a result. We pray this now, Father, in Jesus' name, and for his sake. Amen. Amen. So I still haven't spoken to Pastor Darrell. Maybe we should ask him now. I don't know what we're supposed to be calling this series. So I don't know if you've called the series anything, but I've called it The Christ of Christmas. Bit profound, isn't it? Yeah. What, what were you calling it? Uh, Christmas. Christmas. There you go. Well, I've just expounded on what uh, Pastor Darrell said. So there you go. So The Christ of Christmas. And the passage that we read this morning, I want to read again to you just so we can hone in on um, those two particular verses. So Galatians 4 verse 4, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law. That is verse 4. And so it starts with that but, doesn't it? And, And this but introduces a contrast from what happened before. So it divides what was and what now is. And Paul wants to be very, very clear about that. So just prior to this verse that we heard read out, um, Paul was talking about the law. He was talking about heirs. He was talking about guardians and how everyone was under the law. And then beginning with verse four, he says, but, and he speaks about how we are no longer under the law, but how we are adopted as sons of God. There's this massive transition, this massive change. And now when Paul says sons, he's not making what he says exclusively for males. And we need to understand this uh, in Scripture as we read through it. If you remember back in Galatians 3:28, Paul said, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. But the audience that he is speaking to understands this concept of a son, a son being an heir. And so that's the context he speaks from. But when he says son, he's including women in that as well. He's not excluding women. So please don't hear that. That he is. So everything that says 
that Paul says about sons includes daughters as well. And he's using a language, again, that is understood at that time and uh, a very powerful thing to actually be said about our rights as sons and daughters of the Most High God. And he moves on and he says, when the fullness of time had come. Now, this, this term, the fullness of time, this is only used here in the New Testament. It's not used anywhere else. If we look at Ephesians 1, 9 and 10, there's a very similar thing said there where it's talking again about Jesus making known to us the mystery of his will according to his passage purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things things in heaven and things on earth that's the only other place where this fullness of time is actually mentioned in the New Testament and when Paul speaks about the fullness of time he's referring to God's preordained plan and purposes throughout history he's talking about those plans and purposes all pointing to one moment in time and there are many throughout history who were praying and longing for a promised Messiah. And I'm sure there were many who wondered, will this time ever come? Will we ever see the Messiah? And you've heard me say it before in my own personal life. I pray for things and I think God turns up almost too late. I want him to do it in my time. I want to have the answers that I want here and now. But God's time is perfect. He never turns up too late. And so this was the fullness of time. He knows best. And this was exactly when it should be. Everything that needed to happen before this time came to be had actually come to pass. This was God's perfect time. It happened exactly when he intended, just as he planned it. And when the time was just right, God sent his son, born of a woman. And in reality, that's the only thing we can say about this time that we're talking about the fullness of time with any great certainty but we can also think about what was going on in the area at this time the fullness of time refers to that period of time it took to prepare and complete the timetable for God's redemption the law had fully accomplished all that it could it revealed the sinfulness of man and our inability to do anything for ourselves our inability to be able to obtain it a righteousness with God once more. And it was then at that time that he sent Jesus, sent his son, in order to provide the righteousness that we so desperately needed and which we couldn't provide for ourselves. But think about that time again when he was born. The faithful Jews, again, those who believed in the coming Messiah, would have been praying fervently, asking for the promised Messiah and that he would come. And they would have expected that to happen when they were free of Roman rule or that he would have come and conquered the Romans. But think about what the Romans being there actually achieved. The time was right religiously. The Jews had completed the Old Testament canon and there's some debate as to when that was actually completed. So there's not an accurate time that can be pinpointed. But we do know it was completed before this time, well before this time. And they had the full canon of the Old Testament. The Jews also had this synagogue system which had spread out and God was worshipped there. Children were taught the scriptures there and disagreements were judged in the synagogues there as well. And an incredible thing, the Jews had forsaken all idolatry since the Babylonian exile. All through their history, they constantly fell back into idolatry, but not at this time. 
Even though they still had sins, even though there were small factions that did actually fall into idolatry, the nation itself did not do so. And so that was something that was significant in their history at this time as well. It was also a great time culturally. For the first time, there was a common language amongst the known world. That was Greek. And, and anyone who wanted to spread a message throughout the known world at that time could do so through that common language. And even though the Jews hated the Roman occupation, it was an ideal time politically. Rome had instituted common law systems throughout the known world and it brought this incredible period of peace. The Romans established networks of roads and trade routes and all sorts of things which made travel so much easier and it also made travel incredibly safe. And all of these points together, the religious, the cultural, the political climate, all contributed to a period of time which was ideal for the coming of the Messiah and for the spreading of his message in the known world. And it was at this time that God sent forth his son. The sent forth here is a term which means sent out from. And so God sent out from himself his son. This is speaking of the deity of Jesus. It means that Jesus came from God. It's an indication that he and God are equal. And when it says son, it's not referring to a step down from God. It's referring to his humanity. It's referring to what he took on when he came to this earth. And so when Jesus became son, he submitted to God. But he was not by nature, eternally sub subordinate to God. He was equal to him. And our passage last week from Philippians 2 emphasizes exactly that. Although he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. And when we said form, that meant the exact representation. So he was God. But Jesus willingly submitted himself to the Father while he lived on earth. He lived as an obedient son does to an earthly father. And Jesus being called son is a new name for him. He is never called the son except prophetically in passages like Psalm 2 and 7, where it says, you are my son, today I've begotten you. And it's interpreted in Hebrews, actually. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I've begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. And this is speaking about Jesus' birth on earth. It's not speaking about another birth. Jesus was equal with God, and then he submitted to God when he came to earth and was born as a man. And so Jesus takes on the role and function of a son, and he was born of a woman. Some seem to think that this alludes to Jesus being born of a virgin. And although that's a significant part of the biblical story, the Christmas account, uh, that's not what this is about. Uh, this is emphasizing Jesus' humanity. He was born fully man, born of a woman, but he was also fully God too. Otherwise, he could not have been our saviour. He had to be fully God in order that his sacrifice would have an infinite worth in atoning, that it would actually pay for all sins of all men for all time. But he had to be fully man in order that he would be a, a representative in kind. 
and take the penalty of sin upon himself on my behalf and on your behalf. It was man who sinned. It was man who was under the curse. And it was man who was condemned to death and eternal separation from God. And Jesus could not have been our substitute, could not have died in our place unless he had become a man. He had to be God to have the power of our saviour, but he had to be man to be able to take the position of substitute. And as to every man born up to that time, he was born under the law. Like every other Jew, Jesus had this obligation to obey and be judged by God's written law. And Paul in his letter is opposing the command for the Gentiles to become subject to that very law and all it says. But he doesn't want to minimize the importance of the law and the value of God's law in his overall planning and his redemption plan as well. The law is important and that is why Jesus came, God's own son. He was subject to it, but that is not the position of the Galatians or us. Because Jesus came to redeem us, those who were under the law. All of us were under the law. And he came in order to redeem us. And that just simply means to buy us back, to pay the price. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And I know there are many who still think they're okay. That when the scales are weighed... The good in their life is going to outweigh the bad and they're going to be all good. God's going to accept them. But the reality is we are all sinners. And I keep harking back to just two commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Love your neighbour as yourself. Can I have a show of hands as to who keeps those perfectly? We just don't. I don't. I fail every day with just those two. If you fail in one, you've failed in them all. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Because I've fallen short of God's standards, I've forfeited my right to legal standing in his presence. I don't even have right To appeal to him. Someone else has to do it for me. And that someone was Jesus. Paul has told us earlier in Galatians 3.13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by, coming a cur- by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. You know the song. He became sin who knew no sin, that we might become his righteousness. He humbled himself and carried his cross. Love so amazing. That is what this is referring to. That is an incredible thing that Jesus did for us. He came to redeem us. He came to pay the price. He came to buy out my life that had been wasted. He knew no sin. He rescued me. He rescued you from our plight. We were destined to suffer the consequences for our sin, death and eternal separation from God. But he paid the price and he did that on the cross. And I hope when we think about Jesus, we think about the incredible cost, the incredible price that my sin called for him to pay. 
the Son of God, my Creator, our Creator, killed so I could have relationship with Him. He did it because He loved us. And He didn't do it just to save us from breaking the law. He did it so that we could be adopted as sons and daughters of the Most High God. Think about what that transaction did for us. He took us from what can only be described as the most horrendous eternal destiny. And his actions alone, his actions alone, crown me, crown us with the most incredible blessing. We are told in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, may become rich. We are adopted sons and daughters of the Most High God. Can we get our heads around that? Can we fathom how incredible that is? We went from the deepest, darkest place to the most incredible place we can possibly obtain. We are adopted by him. And when we think about adoption, we we think about that in human terms. We think about having a father, having a mother, but it goes way beyond that. There is nothing and no one who will even come close to be able to explain what Jesus Christ has done for us and what us being adopted will really mean. You've heard me say it again and again, and I just can't stop saying it. Whether you've been brought up in the church and come to faith and don't know when that happened, or whether you had a miraculous deliverance out of the most evil practices, it doesn't matter. Each and every one of us were dead, now we're alive. That is a miracle, my friends. We went from darkness to light. That is a miracle. And we should appreciate that. This is an incredible thing that Jesus had done. I was lost. Now I'm found. I was without purpose, without direction, without reason. And now I find I am loved, I am wanted, I am valued, I am complete in him. And everything that seems to come against me, I am comforted because he is present with me in the deepest, darkest valleys. He is there with me. He never leaves me. He never forsakes me. When Jesus came, that is God incarnate, God in the flesh. And since that first Christmas, we can say without hesitation that God has never left us. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. And he walked this earth and he gave us so much instruction. He demonstrated to us how we should live, how we should love, how we should interact with each other. And then when he ascended to glory, he sent us a helper so we would never, ever be on our own we are living in privileged times times that those in the old testament only ever dreamed of he is with me every moment of every day the good the bad and the ugly he will never leave me never forsake me he knows me he knows me and he loves me anyway and it's the same for you he knows us and he loves us He came to save all of mankind, not just me. That's every one of you who can hear my voice in the auditorium and at home. And everyone 
who will humble themselves before him, who will ask for his forgiveness for not upholding those commandments. He'll welcome them with open arms. He'll adopt them as sons and daughters. And Paul is writing this letter to the Galatians to remind them of the gospel they had received. What's God saying to you this morning? I believe, as I said, that he is again calling us at this time of year to remember. Remember what he's done. And I want you to dwell upon the words that this message is focused on this morning. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. I don't believe that there's any coincidences in God's kingdom. And this morning has the potential to be life-changing for you. Or it can be just another day. Why are you in church this morning? Why are you watching online? What is it you're hoping for here this morning? When the fullness of time had come, this is that time. God, first and foremost, might be calling you to give your life to him. You may never have done that. You may even have lived as a Christian. You may have fooled me and Pastor Darrell and many other in the church, but you've never actually had or experienced a relationship with Jesus. He may be calling you for that first time to submit to him, to humble yourself, to ask him to be your Lord and Savior. Can I encourage you? If you came forward, regardless of who you are, and you said that's what you wanted to do, There'd be celebration here. There'd be greater celebration in glory. The angels would be dancing and singing. Can I encourage you to think about that? Maybe you're a bit like the Galatians who, you know, you made a commitment a long, long time ago. And let's face it, the information we get these days can just bombard us and some of the waters can get muddied. I want you to get back to the basics. Our Christian faith is not complicated. We seem to complicate it so much. What do we need in order to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? What do we need in order to live for him? We just need to believe that he came, that he was born of a virgin, that he lived on this earth a perfect life, that he was crucified, dying in my place upon the cross. And three days later, he rose again. And then he ascended into glory. And now he's sitting at God's right hand. And you know what? He's interceding for Charlie. How cool is that? He's interceding for you. And he takes great joy in that. He takes great joy in you. And I know some people will be sitting here, some people will be sitting at home. If you only knew what I did, I don't need to know what you did. Because Jesus does, and he loves you anyway. And when he died on the cross, those sins that you're thinking about, those sins that you think you cannot be forgiven for, he died for those sins. And he paid the price. There is nothing more that is needed. Do not listen to that evil voice in your head that is telling you you're no good. Jesus loves you and he wants you as his child. And I can tell you, we struggle with what our kids do. But our arms are always open to them regardless of what they do. I'm human. I'm, I'm a broken man. God is perfect. How much more will he welcome you? How much more will he love you perfectly as I never could? So if you've slowly drifted away from God, remember that day you first gave your life to him. What was it that prompted you? 
What was it that caused you to fall on your knees and ask him to be your Lord and Saviour? Come back to that. When we give our life to Jesus, this incredible thing happens. I don't understand it. And if someone can explain it, that would be absolutely awesome. Because I don't suddenly become perfect. I wish I did. But Jesus took my sin upon himself. And he said, Charlie, I've taken your sin and I'm going to give you my righteousness. And so when I stand in God's presence in glory, he doesn't see all the filth. He doesn't see all the rot. He doesn't see all the bad things I've done. He sees the righteousness of Christ. Not my righteousness. Jesus' righteousness. There's nothing I can do. It was all that Jesus did. And that's what this passage tells us about this morning. But it's more than that. It's not just about that time when I'm going to stand in his presence and glory. Even now, he brings me into the very presence of God. He pours out upon those who believe in him his favor, his privilege, his presence. We are sons and daughters of the Most High God. He equips us with everything we need in order to serve him in this place. His storehouses are inexhaustible. I'm told in 1 John 3, 2, Beloved, we are God's children now and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. I get to call God Father. I'm one of his kids. But this term Father is not just about calling God Dad. This is about a relationship that involves intimacy and honourable respect. It's the same relationship that Jesus had with his father. It's what we saw modelled. It's that relationship of love and respect. And we develop this intimacy with God through prayer. Our prayer should express our trust in him, our willingness to submit all of ourselves to him obediently. Our prayer should express our love and thanks for all that he has done. Is that where your prayers are right now? Are you passionate about coming into the very presence of God and just thanking him for all that he's done for you? I'm incredibly privileged to attend the prayer meetings here. And we just spend time thanking God at the start and just hearing what people thank God for. It's just incredible. And that's what we should be doing. When we come into his presence... Do we thank him for the privilege of living in this country? Do we thank him for everything he blesses us with? You know, I, I think I shared with you a while ago, I was one of these people, I always say grace before a meal. And then I got slapped up the side of the head one day by God. I was just going through you. Yeah, yeah Lord, thank you for this food, it's great. Everyone thought I was great. Every time you go to someone's house, they ask the pastor to pray. You know, I think about what I'm about to eat. Oh, Lord, I thank you for chicken. I love chicken. It is so good. Oh, Lord, I thank you for steak. Whew, I really love steak. Please make a note of that. Charlie loves steak. Medium rare. Nice cut. But, you know, we are living in this country so privileged. There are people who don't even get a meal in a day. I get three meals, and I just stuff my face and I don't think about the fact this is an incredible blessing and the stuff I eat I eat because I like it it tastes good God thank you so much that I'm so privileged to be able to have this 
And I love it. Thank you for your blessings upon me. We grow in intimacy with our Father by speaking to him, by listening to him, and by reading his word. You know, it's incredible. We have the majority of people here this morning will remember what it's like to write a letter, to not have email, to not be able to do anything electronically. And if you were a child with an absent father and your father wrote to you, I'm sure if you were expecting that letter, you'd be out at the letterbox every day looking to see if that letter had come. And when it finally came, you'd tear it open and you'd pour over it, you'd read it and then you'd reread it and you'd write a letter back and you'd wait in expectation for that return. Am I right? Yeah. God wrote so much to us in his word and yet it sits on the shelf gathering dust. He wants us to know him and we know him through reading his word. We build that relationship, we build that intimacy by reading his word. And we read it with an expectation he's going to speak to us. I have many young people come to me about reading the word and they say, how can I read the word? I said, just some of them start in the most crazy places, Ecclesiastes. Get them into the New Testament. I say, hey, read a chapter, read a section, whatever works for you. Some people have difficulty reading. I said, if you read it, just before reading, pray, ask God to reveal his word and truth to you. If you don't get anything from that, read it again. If you don't get anything from that, read it again. The reality is some days it's going to be a little bit difficult. But if you get into this practice of reading the word with an expectation that God's going to speak to you, guess what? He does. And he challenges you with the most incredible things. Um, I, I had a friend recently who was um, trapped in Queensland. Um, she had a medical reason as to why she couldn't have a vaccination. She'd come up to Queensland to say farewells to her father. Her father passed and uh, she was not permitted to go back to her family in South Australia. And uh, it is a terrible time. And so we were praying for her. And incidentally, we prayed for her in the Saturday prayer meeting. That day she was able to go home. That's when she got the news she could go home. So praise God. How good was that? And the thing is, that Saturday morning I was reading from Revelation of all places. And I just felt God saying, hey, I need you to send her this message. And I was reading Revelation. And it was about John having this vision of God, of Jesus, and Jesus glorified and how magnificent he was. And John fell face first. He felt like he was going to die and what did Jesus do? He reached out his hand and touched him. And for me, it just said, God is so magnificent, so powerful, so mighty, and yet he's so incredibly personal. He reached out physically and touched John. He cares for our every day. And that's the message I sent to this girl. And she was like, thank you. That is so encouraging. It was later that day that she got the news that um, the government had reneged and said, yes, you can return. We've got a God who cares for us. But when we read his word, we, we begin to understand how much he loves us and how much we um, should be engaging with him and living for him. When we understand what he's saying to us in our word, we obey his promptings so much more and we put things in place to encourage and build others up in the faith. We also need to accept his forgiveness. Jesus came to free us from the curse of sin. Is that what you heard this morning? He did. He came to free us from the curse of sin and death. Sin has no dominion over me. It no longer controls me. Do I sin? Yeah, much to my shame. But it doesn't control me. I am filled and controlled by Holy Spirit. My desire is to do the things that God would have me to do. I no longer want to do those sins. I hate it. I want to kill it. 
Is that your attitude to sin? Because you see, in Colossians 3.5, it says, Put to death then what is earthly in you. That's pretty harsh, isn't it? Put it to death. Kill it. Hate it. Do you want to kill the sin in your life? Because if you don't want to kill it, are you even serious about your faith? That's really where we've got to be with this. We need to remove every part of sin from our life. And are you being led by God's Spirit? When we become children of God, He sends His Spirit to live in us. He guides us, He instructs us, He reveals sins to us, He prompts us to contact people, to pray for people, to encourage people, to build people up in the faith. He calls us as a people of God to be united. Now, I'm never going to be best mates with all of you, but we're called to be united. And I've got to be honest, there's some real freaky people around. Praise God for them. Pastor Darrell was telling me about a guy who loves termites. Do we need people who love termites? Yeah, you bet we do. Because if we didn't have people who love termites, they wouldn't be able to find them and eradicate them and protect our homes. We are surrounded by people who aren't like us. Praise God. But God brings all of them together and puts us in one body. And says, when you guys function together the way that I've designed you to, you are going to be complete. You are going to do a mighty work. You are going to be seen as people who love me and who love each other. And it will change the world. The Christmas story in a nutshell. When the fullness of time had come, God sent his son to be born of a woman. To be born under the law so that he might redeem us that he would set us free from the bondage from the sin that we are in and we might be adopted as sons of the most high God let's pray God I thank you for the power of your word it says it all Lord I don't need to say anymore but Lord I know by power of Holy Spirit you have been speaking to people this morning here and online Father, help us to do something with that. Don't let us walk out of here satisfied with just being in church. Help us to want to draw closer to you and help us to take every step we need to in order to make that happen this morning. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.